And it wasn't really even about you. It was just something dumb. So didn't need to be said, I guess. <laughs> All right. We're in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Brother Jim has read our text and uh, looking forward to this. Just kind of a little bit of a uh, overview of chapter 1 real quick. Um, we see here in chapter 1, uh, essentially the church, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And really, If you remember, we said uh, there really in, in many of these uh, manuscripts that went around, uh, some of them had Ephesians, you know, the church at Ephesus. Ephesus wasn't even written in there. It was more like a circular letter. Uh, and, of course, all of the Word of God was meant to be read by all of the churches and all of the, everybody, you know, it was for everybody. But um, we see here, he was written to a church, and we see here in, in chapter 1 that uh, the, the church has body. And we're going to look at that here, and it kind of sums that up in verse 22 and 23. And we saw here uh, the last few weeks that we are in Christ, and in Christ are all of the blessings, all of the spiritual and heavenly blessings are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that we're in Him, here we have the indwelling Spirit of God, and we have, which means we have the power that we saw last week. We have the power to live like Christ. At any moment, at any uh, conjunction in life, at any crossroads in life, we have the ability to say, God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit right now. I'm about to say something really dumb, right? I'm about to do something I shouldn't do. I'm about to go somewhere I shouldn't go. You know, you fill in the blank. We have at at any time the power of the Holy Spirit of God, God dwelling in us. And it went on to say in chapter 1, the very power... That very power that raised Jesus from the dead, that set him on high, that put him above all principalities and powers uh, of anything in earth or in heaven, that is the power that lives in us. And that is when we have access to that power. And we, we need that power to live. Why? Why do we have this? Well, we have this because he is the head of the body the church, it says here in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 1. Would you look at this? And he hath put all things under his feet, that's authority, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And we could camp on that for quite a while, that this is his church, amen, and uh, he is the head over all of this church. It's not my church, right? We're members of this body, but it's not mine, it's his. It's not yours, it's his. It's not whatever you want to fill in the blank with, it is the it is. The, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head, right? And he has left his body here. One of these days, this body is going to get attached to the head, although it's still attached. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, what, we're going to be, there's going to be a unity there. But uh, we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, it says here, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Over in Colossians, it says that he is the head of the body, the church. Which I love this because now we have a definition of what the word body means when it's speaking of the body. It's speaking of the church, which is visible and local, not universal and invisible. We're not going to go into that today. We don't have time. So we are the body, all right? Now, I do notice in the New Testament, if you'll notice this, it really, we live in such a different day. We have moved on from this period of time so far that really it was taken for granted that all who were born again would be a member of a body somewhere. If they were born again there, they got born again there in Jerusalem, they would be a member of the body at Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem. And, uh, and today we have many born again 
child of God. They're saved. They've been born again. But either they are so many more that are not a member of a church or they're not just a member of a church that I would consider that I would say that is a church that has the same defi- the same defining marks as the church that Jesus started. Can I tell you something? Jesus did not start a Presbyterian church. He never baptized a baby. He never said to baptize a baby. A baby cannot believe. A baby cannot take in information and believe and thus have believers baptized. He did not start a Presbyterian church, right? He didn't start a Methodist church. He didn't start, uh, we know he didn't start anything like uh, uh, what they call the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or anything else. And there are people, I listen They are born again. They have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would contend today that they are not a part of a church that Jesus started, that has the same uh, identifying marks as the the church that Jesus started. Okay, they're outside of the body. Right? They're 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 like they're like a foot laying out in the parking lot, just hanging out. Right? Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. Amen. Right. If it stays off the body long enough, what happens? You scoop up a dead foot and you throw it away, right? You know, how many worked in factories where accidents happened? Guys would lose fingers, right? And they'd dig them out of the machines and they'd kind of wrap it up and they'd take it to the hospital. And sometimes they could sew it back on and they'd sew it back on and it'd look kind of weird and the fingernail would be underneath now because they messed up. And, but it's kind of handy to tap with, things like that. But, you know, you could, if, you get, if you get it in time, you can attach it back to the body. But if it lays out there, what happens? Sometimes it dies. Don't, don't, don't take illustrations too far, okay? <laughs> what am I saying? That fe- Listen, an appendage of the body not attached to a body is useless. It can't accomplish anything. It just lays there and eventually it shrivels up and dies. And there are those that, that are either not a member of a church that way or they're a member, not a member of a church that Jesus started. And they need to be. Here's a picture we have here in Ephesians of the body. Some of these lives are just lives. Watch, they are, a, they are unfaithful to the picture of the body of Christ that is supposed to be. And they're not attached to it. So why, do we, why are we attached to the body? Well, the church has a job to carry out, amen? We're to preach the gospel. I'll, I'll look at this here in just a little more as we go on. But we are His body because we are to carry out what Jesus started. That's chapter 1, the body of Jesus Christ, the church. But notice chapter 2 here, we're going to see a building. Would you look at chapter 2, would you look at verse 19? Through 22, we'll get here eventually, but I want you to show you this. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself be, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So if you are born again, baptized into a New Testament church, you are an appendage of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He, has, he, has, he came to earth with an earthly body, right? He lived, he started his church, he, he presented an atonement for our sins with his own blood, he died, he rose again, but then he went back to heaven. Right. And, and, and he left another body here to continue the work of reconciliation. And that's why he came right to reconcile us back to God. But he went back to heaven. 
right? He brought that body with him. I, sh- I almost said he brought his body back to heaven, but I, would, I, would, I don't believe that body was ever in heaven. He got one here at the virgin birth, and, uh, but he brought it to heaven with him. He is forever, the Bible says, the God-man, and uh, we will, they will look upon those him who he has pierced. He will have that body, and, uh, but he went back to heaven with it, right? But he left another body. You say, well, if he, wait, if he brought that body back to heaven, he can't do what he was, came to do. He's done, he's done, right? He's kind of like saying the work's done. I'm like, how can you, listen, if you don't show up with your physical body to work, your work isn't getting done. Unless you send another body in. Could you imagine if you had a job and you sent 24 bodies in to do your job? You'd be done like that. Or it'd be a mess. Depends on who you sent in. Jesus went back to heaven and he left bodies to continue to do what he started, reconciling the world back to himself. A body is needed to, com- to complete anything on the planet, right? So once we got saved, what happened? We were made alive. The Holy Spirit of God moved in. Once we got baptized, we were attached to one of Jesus' bodies. Why? For, to, for, to, to continue the work that he started. Chapter 2. Chapter 1, we're a building, but chapter 2. I'm chapter 1, we're a body, but chapter 2, we're a building. A body is for doing. I just hope I made that clear enough. A body is for doing, but watch. A building is for residing. It's shelter. It's protection. A building is rest. You go home, hopefully, to rest. It should be, your home should be a place of rest. So a lot of homes are not a place of rest, and they ought to be. But it's a place for rest. And this is what the church is for the believer. Not only is it a body that carries out what, God, what Jesus started, but it is a building. When we are in Christ, in Christ in us, when we are a member of a New Testament Baptist church, the church is a building that is a shelter. The church is a building that is a protection. It is a building that is a rest. It is a building that is a rejuvenation. Right? You know, you know it's nice when the storms of life are going on all around you to come in as a body and come together in a building as a building and just for a little bit of shelter from the world. You know what, that is what's so dangerous about allowing the world into the church is because the very thing you're trying to escape is now in a place that you're supposed to have a place of shelter from. Yeah. I'm telling you, there, listen, there is, no, there is no protection, there is no rest, there is no rejuvenation, there is no shelter of any, in anything that the world has to offer. It is the exact opposite. Let's not let it in the church, what do you say? Let's keep it out. What's that mean? How do, how do you keep it out of the church? Well, you keep it out of your personal life, right? Because what is a church? It's, a, it's an assembly of born-again believers filled with the Spirit of God. If you want a spirit-filled church, if you want a church that is a shelter and a protection and a rest and a rejuvenation, uh, something out separate from the world, you've got to be separate from the world. Yeah. You've got to protect that building. It's a protection from, from Satan, how wonderful it is when the attacks of life are coming on and you can steal away on a Sunday morning and get into the church and begin to open the book and sing the songs of Zion and hear the preaching and praise God and get a little help for your soul and a little encouragement. It's protection at times. It's rest from the fight. How many get tired of fighting the flesh? 
How many get tired of weary of battling the world and the flesh and the devil and all of the onslaughts that we live around today? And what a joy it is to come into the building of God, into the church, and just get a little bit of rest from the fight every once in a while and just kind of put things aside. I think that's why it's so important to begin a time whether before, the best thing is before you ever show up here on a Sunday morning and spend a little bit of time with the Lord to put all of the things that you've been dealing with all through the week and put them aside and just focus on the Lord when you come here while we give opportunity in our prayer time to do that as well. Because why? We need a rest. The church is a building that we can come to for rest and rejuvenation. Rejuvenation. Some of you who are able, I know some are providentially hindered, but boy, that Wednesday night can be such a rejuvenation. Sometimes you say, well, I've had a Monday. Some people say, I had a week of Mondays. <laughs> right? Five, five Mondays this week. And what a rest, what a rejuvenation a Wednesday night can be. Watch, going to church. How do I say this? I wrote it down wrong. I wrote a little side note. Uh, I don't even remember how I wanted to say it. I'm going to move on. Right. <coughs> yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> it's driving me nuts. I guess going to church is not, is, not, is not being in a church. You say, well, I'm going to church. Well, it doesn't mean you're in a church. It just means you're going to church. You're going to somebody else's building that you're not a part of. And listen, you can have rest there. You can have protection. You can have rejuvenation. You can, you can enjoy all of the things, but you're still, still not a part of the church. You're just going to the church, somebody else's church. You need to be in a church. But listen, we're talking about a body. We're talking about a building. It's what we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's what, been a, what is the marvelous wisdom of God that has provided these things for us. But you know, for you and I, it wasn't always this way, was it? It wasn't always this way. We didn't always enjoy church when you were dragged there. <laughs> we didn't always like the building. We didn't always like the thought of being a part of a body. Probably back then, we, of course, you weren't a part of the body at all. You weren't in Christ and uh, therefore not a part of the body. But we, didn't, we, we weren't always this way. We didn't always like it. I remember going, being dragged to church one time. I might have been sixth grade and I, I was so frustrated with how long it was taking and with the droning on and on and on and on of that preacher uh, who was not really preaching that might have at least caught my attention a little bit. He was just devotionalizing in the, just the boring, just liturgical type of songs and just the, it was like a, like a, like a dirge, you know, and, I, and I'm sure, well, that was to me, okay, I'm sure it wasn't, but it's me. Because obviously people around there were enjoying it. I wasn't. Boy, there's some things that came out of my mouth sitting there that I thought about that place. And I looked back and I thought, I, I did not like that. I used to not be like I am today. I didn't want it. I didn't like it. I didn't want anything, anything to do with it. What am I saying? Nobody is born in Christ. Those of you who are here today, you're in Christ Jesus. You, you, you love the Lord God. You're a part of His church. You're involved in, in, in whatever capacity you're able to be involved in today. Uh, you are here because at one point in your life, you were born into Christ Jesus. We've already looked at this. But listen to me. Nobody comes into this world spiritually alive. 
Nobody comes into this world a, uh, a body or a building for God. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you have a past. Amen. Do you ever get nervous when somebody says, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. <laughs> And, 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 I mean, it's sad. It is. They've been led astray. And you want to just gently and nicely, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, lead them to the place of realizing, well, no, nobody's really born a Christian like nobody's born married. Nobody's, right? You know, right? No, nobody is born, born again. To be born again, that means you had to be already born once to be born again. You're not born, born again. And if you are in Christ this morning, you have a past. He said, man, could you have gotten to that quicker? Maybe. I'm sure I could have. So here's the title. Are you or were you? Are you... Or were you? I can sense it. You've got this bated breath waiting to hear the rest of this. And if you want to know what bated breath is, it's good. You're just waiting. Verse 1. We're talking about a building. But Paul begins with a past. What are you? Number one, what are you? Look at, look at verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Yep. You know, Paul told his testimony often, didn't he? Before Agrippa, before Felix. He told it all the time. Did He said, I was a Jew, past tense. I persecuted the church of God, past tense. I wreaked havoc among the churches. He said, I brought them to trial. I went and did as much as I could to stop this way. The way this group that was out there, followers of this Jesus Christ that I am sure, no doubt, he had heard of and known of. Yeah. But one day on that Damascus road, what did he say? I was stopped by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He went to his dying day preaching the gospel he had once hated. What am I saying? Paul had a testimony and he had a testimony that included a past. Can I tell you this morning, everybody who is in Christ Jesus has a past testimony. Everybody in Christ has a testimony of what they used to be and what they are today. And if you are in Christ Jesus this morning, you have a past. You were born into this world as one thing and you're born again by the Spirit of God, an entirely new thing. Right? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We were born into this world. Here's the Bible word. Dead in trespasses in sins. Now notice here in verse 1 he says, You hath he quickened. Past tense. What does that word quickened mean? It means to be made alive. Made alive. It was past tense. I'm sorry. You hath he quickened. It's past tense, but it's also... Uh, Speaking of the past tense, but he's talking to those that are saved, present tense. But notice this here, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you were made alive, right? Past tense, because past past tense, you were dead. Before you were quickened, you were dead. You were separated. That's what death means, separation. Do you know there are three deaths in the Bible? Three deaths in the Bible. 
There is spiritual death, right? Right here in Ephesians uh, 2 and verse 1. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead. The, the moment that, that Adam and Eve took of that fruit, their spirits died. And forevermore after that, we are born into this world spiritually dead. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and, and, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So we're born spiritually dead. Sinners, as I said at the funeral, if you're there, sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And what did it bring? It brought death. Spiritual death. There's physical death, which is the separation of the soul or life from the body. So the first one is spiritual death, the separation of the spirit from God. The second one is physical death, the separation of the soul or, or life from the body, right? Those at the funeral, just we, we're aware of that all the time. The, that, that soul and spirit of Russell left that body that evening and was immediately in the presence of the Lord, but the body's still here. He died. What do we say? He was separated from the physical body. Physical death. And then there's eternal death over in Revelation chapter 20 where it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. So we have spiritual death, we have physical death, and, and sadly, uh, we have eternal death. Eternal death. So what... How do I say this? We know what death is, but what is death not? Do you know there's wrong, unbiblical definitions of death out there? You say, okay, tell me, I'm waiting. (laughs) There's a system, and it's broader than this, but Calvinism teaches that a man is born spiritually dead. Okay, fine. And that God has to make them alive first. They go to the point to say that regeneration comes before salvation. Your average Southern Baptist church, many of them believe that today. They used to not. It's, it's, it has woven its way into that system. Friend, there are in, those who call themselves independent Baptists who this Calvinism has crept into their ministries. And they will say this, uh, that regeneration comes before salvation because they wrongly define what death is. They say death is, is just... Uh, is, 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 is total death. And I heard a man not too long ago on the radio, he brought up a mannequin and said, see, this is dead. It's a mannequin. There's no life in this mannequin. And, and I can talk to it and I can slap it around. And he went through all of these things and they're funny and cute and all of these things. And he said, and this is dead. And we were born this way. Wrong. We were not born that way. See, the problem is death, doesn't, death means separation, right? But it doesn't mean that we don't have a mind still. It doesn't mean that we don't still have emotions. It doesn't mean that we still don't have the ability to reason. Yes, we do. We are dead, right? But we still have the ability to, for all of these things. John six forty four. Jesus said, No man come unto me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. To draw means to draw by inward power, to lead, or to impel. Watch this. Draw does not mean to regenerate or to make alive. Jesus says he'll draw us. Who is he drawing Supposedly, he's drawing dead people. 
If we're born spiritually dead, he is drawing, what does he say? He's drawing us. When is the drawing taking place? Before salvation or after? Well, after. I mean, before. (laughs) Before. I was almost a Calvinist. Before salvation. So when is the drawing taking place? While the people are dead. So what does that mean? If they can be drawn while they're dead, they're not dead like Calvinists say, dead is dead. Does that make sense? Okay. Over in Acts 2.38. I want to show you something there. Look at verse, go over in verse 37 and 38, Acts chapter 2. This is imperative that we understand this because this is everywhere now. It is the fad. It is the, it is the cool thing to be right now as a Calvinist. And I'm telling you, it is, it is unscriptural and unbiblical. And they start with a wrong premise. They start with a wrong definition of what dead means. What it means to be dead. Acts chapter 2. Remember, Peter is preaching. It's the day of Pentecost. And he's been preaching. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Conviction. Drawing. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brother, brethren, what shall we do? Okay. So now obviously God's been drawing. The, the message of Peter, it says, has pricked their heart. Now they want to know what to do about it. They're convicted enough. Watch. They believe. They're believing what Peter has preached. Because they, now they want to know how to fix what the problem is. Because their heart's smiting them. That's conviction. That's the drawing of the Spirit of God. Now go on. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wait a minute. What's the order here? They're not saved yet, right? Because Peter's telling them how to be saved. Repent. Notice repentance comes before baptism. Don't let the Campbellites mess you up on that. Repentance, the subject, it comes for repentance first. All through the Bible, belief and repentance is always before baptism. But he said, repent, repent, repent. Why is he telling them to repent? Because they're not saved. What does it mean that they're not saved? Uh, They're dead. Wait a minute. They're being drawn while they're dead. (laughs) Right? So death doesn't mean what these Calvinists divine death is meaning. You can be dead in your sins and still have the ability to reason. You can still have the ability to be drawn. Obviously, here's evidence right here. You can still have the ability to to think and reason and have emotions. They were pricked in their heart. Romans 6, 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Question, the Bible says here, when we get saved, we are dead to sin. We're separate from it. Can I ask you something this morning? When you got born again, how many stopped sinning? Because now you're dead to it. Hmm. Obviously, we can still respond to sin in the flesh, even though we're dead to it. Amen? Listen, please, we are born spiritually dead, but it does not mean we cannot respond to the Spirit of God while at the same time spiritually separated from Him. This is how it goes. So I have a question. According to Calvinism, when was Paul made alive? When was he made alive? 
Remember on his testimony on the road to Damascus, he's heading out to just do what he's always done and kill a bunch of people and bring them in for trial and stop their churches and things like that. And uh, that bright light came and knocked him over. And, uh, and the voice of Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, the goad, that sharp pointy stick that you poke sheep with and cows with or animals. It's hard for you to kick against that. What was going on? Conviction and drawing in Paul's life. So when was he made alive? What did he say? What did, G, what did Paul say? Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Yeah. You understand this, and I think it bears repeating. When you Listen, when you persecute the church of God, you're persecuting Jesus Christ. When you minimize the church, you are minimizing Jesus Christ. Yep. He said, it's Jesus whom thou persecutest. Look what Paul says. What wilt thou have me to do? What happened here in Paul's life? That's repentance. When did he repent? After the drawing. How long had he, had he been drawing? My belief? God had been drawing ever since he laid the, they laid the, Stephen's clothing at his feet and he consented unto his death. He, was it the death itself? No. It was what Stephen was preaching that they, that they, that they, they, were, they, they came to a, a place. Uh, I actually, I wrote it down here. When they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Conviction. It started that day, I believe. What did he do? When he said, what will thou have me to do, Lord? What had happened in Paul's heart? Repentance. Belief. He said, this is Jesus. What will you have me to do? He took what he used to believe and changed his mind and took what now is the new truth and he believed it, repentance, change of mind. And because of that change of mind, he went on a different direction. So when he got to, when he got to Damascus, what did Ananias said? Brother Saul? <laughs> yeah. Do you realize he was called Brother Saul before he was even baptized? Yeah. He was in Christ. What am I saying? This dead Paul was being drawn by the Spirit of God while he was yet dead in his sins. And he finally came to the place of responding. There may be somebody here in this room today. I doubt it. I don't know. But there may be somebody watching on live stream. You've never been born again. But listen, you're watching and something, you're listening, something is drawing you. There is a pressure. There is an uneasiness. There is a sen- uh, this sense of overall conviction that you are wrong and there's something wrong in your life. And when I speak, there is something telling you that what is being said is truth. There's this inner witness going true, true, true. What is being said is truth. I said that to a man I was witnessing one, to one time. I said, you know what's, what's funny is whatever, you know, I, I'm giving you the gospel here and, and the Holy Spirit of God, I said, something in you, might not be as accurate as it should have been, but for the occasion, something in you is telling you what I'm saying is truth. He nodded his head. You know. What's going on in you right now? Well, it's a drawing. It's convicting. 
It's Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. No, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You are still on your way to hell. Your spirit is still separate from God. You can still walk away and continue to say no until your dying day, until the time that you are eternally uh, separated from God. You are dead spiritually. Watch, this is what you are. You're here today and you're not in Christ Jesus. You've never been born again. You've never came to a place of repentance in your life. This is what you are. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Can you respond? You could respond today. You could respond to the drawing of the Spirit of God right now. You can respond. But notice this, number two. Ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice number two here. There's a wonderful word here. Past tense. Were. Were. Ye were dead in your trespasses and sins. Were. Do you know to most people in this room here this morning, that word were, W-E-R-E, makes your heart happy, doesn't it? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You can say, well, that's me. I was a were. <laughs> I was a were. Amen. Amen. Yep. Today you're alive. The Spirit of God has, has quickened your spirit and been made alive. The Holy Spirit of God uh, ended his outward work and moved in and started his inward work. The sin that brought death has died now. We're, we're new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. Every morning we wake up, we live in the new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're saved this morning, you are a were. Amen. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. I'm not going to spend much time today. I want to focus on just one thing. But in verses 2 and 3, we see so much of where we used to be. What used to control our life. What was in our past. Well, in our past was where we walked, verse 2. Where we lived, verse 3. And who we were, verse 3. Look at verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This used to be our life. We, hey, listen, everything that dictated our life was what just came out of the world. Where we went, what we said, what we did, what we thought was funny, what we thought was, was, was fun to go do, where we liked to go, what we wore, what you drank, what you ate. I mean, uh, I mean, you just go down the list. Why did you do what you do? Well, because that's what the world did. And that's, uh, you were a part of the world and you were just going with the flow of what everybody else did. Isn't it amazing, uh, the world, what, what, uh, how easy the world jumps on the latest bandwagon that somebody's doing? Can I tell you, it takes a very strong, strong person to be virtuous. It takes, it takes a, a person with the power of the Holy Ghost on them to be a virtuous person. Because why? You're going against the grain, right? 
Somebody said a dead fish can, fish can float downstream just fine. There it goes. Easy as can be, right? But boy, you get alive and want to go upstream, it's a lot of work. Yeah, you're going to have to be, watch, you're going to have to be alive to swim upstream. And living our life in Christ, we are swimming upstream. And we're going to be alive to do it. Look what Paul says was in our past tense, where we used to walk, where we used to live. Here, look at verse 3. Among whom also we had our conversation, our lifestyle, the word conversation there, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Right? What was that, what was that great uh, motto, I think, of... Was it Nike or one of those? If it feels good, do it. That's how the world lives. They don't look at that and think anything about it, but that is the most natural thing there was. That used to be us. I mean, that made sense. Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. I mean, all of these really silly worldly ideas of living, that's how we used to live, right? I'm hungry, eat. I'm sad, do this. I'm angry, punch somebody. I mean, I, I mean just whatever you want to do, that's just what they do. Drawn by the flesh. Every decision they make. Well, I'm not happy. Well, just, you know, go somewhere else and be happy. Dump them. Dump her. Dump him. Be happy. Life's too short. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's just this, this how we used to live. It was normal. Our conversation. Fulfilling the lust, the lust of our flesh. The filling the desires of the flesh of the mind. Of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature. Remember sinners by nature? The children of wrath even as others. We are like everybody else. We're like everybody else. This was our past. No, you're in Christ now, but we have a past. We all have a past. We've been quickened. We've been made alive. But we've been made alive because we were dead. And because we were dead, we had a past. Look at verse 4. I don't have time to develop this today. But I'll just leave it here with these first two words. We had a past, but God. Hallelujah. We had a past, but God. Do you see what, what, what it says about him? Who is rich in mercy. I'm so glad that God delights in mercy. He deli- no, that makes it, it joys his heart to have mercy on us. You know what I'm so thankful? I'm thankful that the mercies of God are new every morning. Do you, never, do you know every time you need mercy, you never wake up to used mercy? Leftover mercy. Just mercy that's already half used. And you, like you get in the fridge and you see somebody got halfway through that sandwich and just left it in there. And they're still around. You can tell by the bite marks who it is. You know, you're going by the kids fitting. Oh, oh so you did it, right? <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, I guess I'll finish it. No. We don't get half, half, half used mercy. He said his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Why, why would he show mercy on us? He loved us. Why does he love us? Because he loves us. No, friend, do, you really, do we really need more than that? Like, can't we just be satisfied with that? Well, I, I wonder what the implication of why God would live. He loves us. Who cares? He loves you. Don't, don't stress over it. Rejoice in it. We have, a, we have a past, but, but because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, because of God's love, right? We're in Christ today. 
but God. You know, there is a day in, my, in your life when God began to draw you. Some of you, you remember clearly, maybe you might even remember clearly when the drawing started. After you got saved, you begin to look back over your life and you go, oh boy, it was right there. It was right there when it started. I remember for me, it was at a summer camp. I was about 17 years old. I went with this uh, church my brother was taking me to. I went that summer and, uh, and uh, there's a lot of high hopes for a fun week. And I had no idea he was going to preach like that. Preached out of Philippians that week. I don't remember what he preached. All I remember is something gripped my soul. One of the last services of the week, I'm standing there in the back and holding on to a chair, and this girl, Carrie, next to me says, do you want to go forward? Do you need to go forward? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. fine." What happened? The drawing started at 17. I went back and did a lot of religious stuff. I was pretty cool with it. I thought, this is good, this is good. But it was there that it started. For you, it might have been the first message you ever heard. The drawing started, and boy, right there, you came to Christ. it It might have been that week. It might have been that afternoon. It might have been years. For me, it was 10 years. 10 years later, I finally came to a place of humbling my heart before God and saying to Him, I know in the depths of my soul I am lost. I know it. I repent. That's all I knew to say. I repent. Save me. And he did. Hallelujah. But God. Why? Because he loved me. Why did he save you? He loved you. When you cried out to him, he loved you. Right? Remember that day when you humbled your heart before God? When you admitted that he was right and you were wrong? When you believed what he said? When you confessed it all before him, whatever your words, whatever your words were, it's what you did. Yeah. You had a past. You had a past. But because of the mercy of God and the love of God, you are right now, you can say, I, I was, <laughs> but now I am. Yeah. He saved you. Amen. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. What a wonderful song. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You weren't always indwelt by Christ. You weren't always a building for God. You weren't always alive. We have a past. We were a we are, right now, presidents, we are a were. Now, here's my question today. Everybody in here knows your personal answer. You know your answer. And my question was the title. Boy, it sounds weird. I don't even know how to do it right. Let me just say it this way. What are you... There's either two ways you can ask this question. What are you or what were you? What are you or what were you? Are you a sinner separated from God or were you a sinner separated from God? If you still know what you are today, 
If you can say, I know what I am. I've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never been born again. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Actually, I've been fighting against it. I could care less about it. Can I tell you, even in that attitude, there's still good news for you? That God loves you? That God loves you? That God wants you? He was reconciling the world back to himself through Jesus Christ. That God paid a debt for you. I read this even, even in uh, Sunday school this morning that he is a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means the act of appeasing. It is atonement. Jesus said that he, it says that Jesus is the atonement for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, maybe here this morning that you're watching online or maybe you're in here today. I, sometimes I'm... I'm pleasantly surprised when people come to Christ later in life. But maybe you're at odds with your Creator. Right? You are outside of Christ today. If you would come to Him today, He'll wash your sin away. He absolutely will. He'll adopt you. He'll live in you. You will immediately inherit eternal life. And you'll read... Second, uh, verse 2 this way for yourself who were dead in trespasses and sins. You will be a were. You will join the ranks of the worse. I wonder if that's a new group, a new church name. Were Baptist. <laughs> no, never mind. I have terrible ideas. Really, I do. Yeah. Are you a were today? Are you a were? Can I tell you why? Why you are a were? It's only because of the mercy and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. What would be good for us to do today is just take a little moment here in just a little bit of time and thank God. Spend some time allowing the Holy Spirit to let us remember our past, where we used to be, and where He's brought us. Remember, do you remember what you used to be when you first got saved? Now you look back sometimes and go, huh? <laughs> would you thank him for where you are today? Right? He's promised to conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's still doing it, isn't he? Aren't you thankful you can look back even in your Christian life and watch him as he's changed you and brought you along? If you're a word today, would you thank him for it? If you're still in your sins today, if you are an R today, you are outside of Christ, you are dead, would you come to Jesus today? He, he does want you. He absolutely does. Our Father, one verse. What a beautiful reminder of who we were before we came to Jesus. Who we were before we finally responded to your plea and your invitation and said, I do, and said, yes. I marvel at what you've done. Oh no, everybody in here who is born again child of God will say, I'm not what I want to be, but I know I'm not what I used to be. And Lord, we thank you for that today. We pray you'd help us to spend a little bit of time today just thanking you with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for what we used to be and what you've done in our life. 
And I pray today, Lord, if there's somebody here or somebody listening, watching live stream, who's never been born again, they have never been saved. Would you help them to see again? Would you draw them again, Lord, today, that they would come to Jesus before it is eternally, eternally too late? Would you do that work today in Jesus' name? Amen. Why don't you stand today? The instrument's going to play. Maybe take some time with the Lord today to thank Him for what you are today and what you used to be. might be good to spend a little time in your mind to go back and remember where the Lord found you. be good to spend some time to thank Him that you can now, now be called one who were dead in trespasses and sins. Not one who is currently that way. dismissed in a word of prayer. We'll be back at 6 o'clock tonight. Lord willing, back in the book of Matthew. Looking forward to that. All right, let's pray. Brother Allen, would you close us in prayer this morning?